Hi, everyone. Welcome to the April 16th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Colorado is seeing an uptick in coronavirus cases, although not nearly as rapidly as the rise in numbers last fall. The numbers remain low enough that most Colorado counties are ending mask mandates since the Colorado Department of Health is removing the dial system for, for counties to follow. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock announced this week that the city of Denver is lifting outdoor mask mandates and will be moving indoor settings to level blue, meaning many businesses will be able to operate at 100% capacity as long as they are able to maintain social distancing requirements. Patty Cahoon from Westward, it's that last part I'm most interested in that feels like the catch. For maybe a really big restaurant, six feet may not be that big of a deal, but for the smaller ones, it doesn't necessarily increase capacity. Uh, you know, we're, we're at this tipping point. What, how do you think Colorado's doing it? Well, I just flew in from Arizona, and I can tell you that that Tucson is a little wild right now. People are really getting out and about, whether it's because they feel like they're okay, they're invincible because of the vaccinations, or after a year they just can't stand it any longer. But you do see it breaking the dam pretty quickly. Restaurants have made it a year. They are so eager to get people back in. But very few restaurants can go to 100% capacity and keep that six-foot distance. There are almost very few I can think of. And for small restaurants where every table is going to make a difference, it is still really, really tough. And that's not going to change. I think Denver is going to still be pretty hard on it for the next 30 days till they see how the numbers go. Because the numbers are not good. That's partly because fewer people are getting tested, so the odds of people who are getting tested having COVID are higher. That's the one optimistic way of looking at it. But it's going to be a fight to the finish. Will people get vaccinated fast enough to offset the rise in COVID cases? And I think in some counties, especially some of the mountain counties with all the ski tourists, it's going to be really tough for them. I think out in the rural areas where the numbers are down, they really need to be able to get back to whatever business they have. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. David, before the show, we were talking about um, who's able to call the shots now. It seems like the, the state health department is at the very least in pulling the dial system. Really, it seems like they're handing the keys over to counties. Is it, Am I interpreting that correctly? You were interpreting it perfectly, and it's... It makes sense because for all the reasons Patty said, different counties have, have different situations. And also the the people in different counties have different tolerances uh, for how willing they are to be uh, to be bossed around. Um, so th- this is, is progress. But uh, financially, we're Colorado's in a – I know the state government's got all this money of federal grants and things like that. But for small businesses, it's very tough. WalletHub is a company that aggregates credit card data uh, – for financial information and prediction. And they, they rank Colorado currently 47th out of the 50 states with the most potential to bounce back from the pandemic. We are uh, 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 worse than uh, Hawaii, Montana, and Nevada are worse than us. But um, otherwise, we're in, in bad shape. And we had a you know, great economy and low unemployment before the pandemic. And uh, the lockdowns have really put us on the opposite side. The optimistic news is that Texas, uh, which opened up fully, and other states like Mississippi have been doing fine, uh, despite the the doomsaying predictions from a few weeks ago. the pulling of the Johnson Johnson vaccine is, is catastrophic, uh, not because Johnson and Johnson was the, the main one that was used, but it will it will reinfor- reinforce what's called vaccine reluctance. Um, and there's just a lot of people who are skeptical about the government performance and don't want the vaccine. And um, 
that that's going to make it hard to get things to really uh, get to herd immunity. Join us remotely, Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist, also the author of the Denver Letter, a great uh, uh, regular newsletter that you're putting out, Natasha. Uh, we're seeing a lot of different changes here. This is kind of that, that flux situation where we're in where some cases are going up. Uh, let's be careful, but it's springtime. Today's weather notwithstanding, people really want to get outside. It's going to be nice soon. So what do you think of how the policies are laying out? Is Colorado doing it the right way? Well, it's a constantly changing situation. You know, as as you mentioned, vaccines and 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 J and J. I mean, that's changed the timeline a bit. When we were optimistic about opening up vaccines to everyone in the state, there was sort of a sense that it would be six weeks or more for some people until they were fully vaccinated. But but losing the J and J in our sort of toolkit that changes the timeline for many people. So that raises questions about how are our restaurants going to be open more fully if we. Are still waiting for those people to sort of cross that finish line. And that's, it's a waiting game. We are so, I keep on using the analogy with my son of a marathon and that we are in the final miles of that marathon, um, hopefully, and those are the hardest ones to run, but it's important to still keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, I, for one, am going to be happy when we don't have to um, see the dial as frequently anymore. From from day one, it has reminded me of that spinning wheel and the game of life game board, um, not in a good way, um, perhaps too many analogies. Um, there. So as, as we're seeing those adjustments, I, I'll be happy not to have to follow that as much. And I think long term, I'd like to see some mask normalization going on. Outside of the pandemic, we know that the flu season was um, lighter in the past year. I think that there's some real um, courage in people making decisions related to their health. And um, if they're sick, perhaps protecting themselves and their family, not related to COVID at all. So hopefully as we move into this next uh, moment, we can have some of those conversations about what good things happened in the pandemic that we might want to continue. Also join us remotely, Greg Moore, Editor-in-Chief at Deke Digital. Greg, it's great to have you back. Uh, you've been able to uh, see the, this in, from a lot of different communities, both small towns and the metro area and abroad. What do you think about how Colorado is adapting to the different changes, both in policies and in the numbers? Well, you know, first, what I would say is I would cast a wary eye, um, you know, toward Michigan, where there Michigan's under a lot of pressure to sort of shut down their economy because the helter skelter way that they were opening things up has led to increased hospitalizations. I mean, we're almost at the fish finish line. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I really would love to see you know the leaders in the state of Colorado exhibit a, a little bit more patience, a little bit more staying power rather than have, you know, this hodgepodge of, you know, regulations. And what I think is happening is it's going to confuse people. Like, you know, if you're in Larimer County, it doesn't mean that you don't have to wear a mask outside or, you know, it's sowing a lot of, a lot of confusion. And this is not a time for us to take our foot off the pedal. I, I, I would love to see us sort of just hanging in there just a little bit more. How do I think we're doing? I think we're, we're doing about as well as we can do, given the pressure that, State officials uh, are feeling to open up this economy to keep as many businesses alive as possible, to acknowledge, um, you know, COVID fatigue. But, you know, if we could just stay the course a little bit longer, if we can just get a few more people um, inoculated, we may have that herd immunity where we won't have to worry about the possibility of a fourth wave and having to close down our economy. 
It appears unemployment fraud has been even more concerning than originally figured. State unemployment administrators recently updated the estimated amount of fraudulent unemployment filings to total around between 20 and $30 million, a significant increase from the original estimate of $6.5 million. David, we start with you on this one. If I thought there was already a problem and then I came back and said it's five times worse than what I thought it was, I would expect a lot of red flags and headlines and sirens going off. I don't know if we're seeing that with this, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Well, there, there should be. And it doesn't mean the state of Colorado government is bad. They just they had a problem that they were completely unable to cope with. In, in 2019, there were 90 fraud – by their records, they had 90 fraudulent uh, unemployment insurance claims. And uh, this year they've had, a, a, in 2020, a million attempted fraudulent uh, claims, and their staff was completely overwhelmed, unable to deal with it. They had the pressure of, of course, the legitimate people who – uh, should be getting the insurance and, and needed it because they lost their jobs because of the lockdown, uh, trying to get the money to them. And at the same time, the Nigerian scammers, the uh, one state official said that when, as soon as they put up a new website, I think in January, like within the first five minutes, they had dozens uh, of, of logins from uh, Ni- Nigerians, apparently a lot of expatriate Coloradans living in, in Lagos uh, who, who lost their jobs too. And nationally, there's been $63 billion in unemployment insurance fraud in the last year. So it's a, it's a structural problem, just the government's difficulties in, in dealing with such a big challenge. But you also say, okay, if that's the capacity of what government can functionally do, which is not – they can't run an unemployment insurance system that has to scale up, how are they going to run a public option in Colorado and be in charge of all the health care pricing? Whether you think it's a good idea philosophically or not, it is just way beyond the functional capacity of Colorado state government. Natasha, do you think we need to be seeing, uh, I guess, uh, more, uh, more announcements, more uh, news conferences, something from whether it be Phil Weiser, our Attorney General, Governor Polis, anybody else, the, at least how we address it. I think people understand how it could have happened, that it was – pretty uh, uh, historic of the kind of impact the office had. But now that we know, should more be being done? Um, Yes, potentially. I I think that, unfortunately, we know that in times of crisis, bad operators will take advantage of those situations and and perpetuate fraud like we're seeing in this case. It is really important to note, though, that Colorado was not unique. Um, We were not unique in in many ways. In fact, there's many states that are dealing with this in much bigger ways than we have. So this problem is not just a problem for Colorado. It's a problem across the country. Um, You know, right away, there's a of me that is immediately concerned about people who were not able to access the system because of all these fraudulent claims that are coming in. Hopefully they've been able to access it. But now that we know a better, have a better picture of what's going on, it, it, the cleanup needs to happen. The reporting needs to happen. But we also should know that, that if there was fraud and you were involved in that at all, you should be receiving a letter. There's a lot of information on the state's website about this, about how to deal with it on a personal level, whether it was a claim that was filed on within your name 
and an identity fraud situation or whether you were a business that might have been targeted as well. And that sort of information needs to get out almost on a PSA basis so that everyone knows how to take the next steps to correct this. Then on the state level, we also have to look at how we, we can get any of that money back and then certainly stop it from happening in the future, which they are also making some steps with some ID um, requirements, uh, identifying yourself as you're applying for those, those um, benefits as well. This is going to be a story we hear about for a long time. Greg, should we take it as progress that at least they found out that it's much worse than they thought it was? I don't know that I would necessarily say we should take it as progress. I think there's some real excuse making going on here. This is a really big story. Uh, my wife and I separately have been victimized by this fraud. And one of the things that's fascinating about it is not only do they have our social security number, they have our address, they have our employee number, they have our employee address, they have our employer, employer name. I mean, that's a lot of information, okay? And I mean, I mean, I think it's great that they're able to sort of pawn that off on the Nigerians, but I actually think it's a Colorado problem and it's a really, really big problem. And what's really stunning to me is that nobody really seems to be that concerned. They're just kind of shrugging their shoulders and not acting like it's a crime when really it is. And what I'm worried about or what I'm worried about the future implications with somebody out there that has that much information, like what else are they going to do with that? Um, you know, they don't have to stop with filing, um, you know, false unemployment uh, claims. I, I think the Democrats, and this is symptomatic of what a lot of critics are saying about the stimulus bill and, and, and all the kind of like federal spending that's going on is that they're just, you know, raining money. I mean, it's just like money falling out of the sky. There's no systems in place. There are no checks and balances. There are no follow-ups. And the Democrats really need to be careful because I can see these um, these cases of fraudulent claims with unemployment and other government programs turning up in political commercials in 2022. Pedro, what do we think about that? Is this going to be something that uh, is becoming that will become a bigger issue for political leaders moving forward? Well, I think in Colorado it will because we weren't we did not have that great a database and computer system in labor before, and unemployment was already a problem. The changes we've made have slowly fixed a few things, but it's like it's funny money. It, to uh, play off with Natasha talking about games, it's like a game of Monopoly. We're just throwing this money around. It doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you what really matters, too, besides ultimately whoever's going to be paying the bills in the government. It matters to the people who really are still trying to get unemployment legitimately, can't get through, are really suffering. We might have the same 6.4% unemployment rate it stayed steady right now, but some people have given up. Some people are just hanging on. So the, a lot of people have done okay in COVID, but there are some people who are really suffering, and those are the people we should have the headlines about. Those are the people who need help. Then we'll get to the Nigerians. And we need to see if the problem is just a house on Baltic Avenue or is it a hotel in Park Place? Two exactly. Size problems. A portion of Colorado's $700 million stimulus bill is hitting a controversial speed bump. Republican lawmakers have expressed concern about the $40 million set aside for the Colorado Energy Office, stating that the office lacks the track record necessary to be trusted with the funds. Natasha, Republicans in the state legislature are in the distinct minority, So, uh, but when they do pick their battles, they've got to be careful with it. But I think this one is something that at least made headlines this week. What do you make of their concerns, and is there other issues to this inside the government that we need to know about? 
Well, I am 0% surprised this is, would be something the Republicans would choose to pick out of these bills. I mean, it relates to energy. And and in this case, we're, we're not talking about, anytime you talk about energy in Colorado, you kind of have to clarify, are we talking about energy involving oil and gas? Are we talking about energy related to clean energy or green um, energy? In this case, we're talking more about the, the clean energy um, concept. And, and so I'm, I'm not surprised because this is a topic that continues to be a, a, a partisan issue within the state. It's important to note that this this is part of many bills. I think there's dozens of bills at this point dealing with how are we going to use this kind of surprising money. I mean, think about where we were over a year ago where it was only cut, 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 cut. These bills are now looking at reinstating some of those funds, looking at also where we could add an influx of cash that would do something to boost uh, Colorado's economy. I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you which of these investments would be great. I think that's what the legislature is, is focused on right now, is trying to make those guesses. Um, and I think it is appropriate to question it, um, question it to a point where it's held up or, or um, are these good questions to ask? Uh, those are things that will be discussed within the walls of the Capitol and certainly hopefully in media um, coverage as well. But I think conversation is always good. And as we saw in our previous discussion about unemployment, more visibility on when things go wrong is important. Greg, as Natasha mentioned, uh, energy has been huge in Colorado for a long time, will continue to be moving forward, and it's certainly hot right now. What do you make of the complaints from Republican lawmakers? Will it make a difference in how the government's handling the Colorado Energy Office? I don't think it's going to make a difference in how the, the Energy Office is handled. I, I think the Democrats are just going to plow through, just like they're trying to do in Washington, D.C. But I do think this fits into my previous comment about how this whole effort is going to be politicized. And I do think the Republicans have a little bit of a playbook. We're not paying a lot of attention to it, but I think they're setting up the dominoes for political um, campaign commercials and, and issues in, in 2022. I think the opposition to how money is going to be spent in the energy offices directly related to the Green Deal in Washington, D.C., and what AOC and the squad and and other Democrats are trying to push through. And so showing that they were holding the line at the state level, right, whether they're successful or not, is going to sort of play into the whole the whole narrative about democratic overreach, not just when it comes to stimulus spending and all that, but energy and, and everything else are attacking piece by piece the democratic agenda. So I think this is just setting the stage for the big fight that's coming um, that's coming next year. Patty, as Greg referenced, there's a lot of elements in the Colorado fight on this. It's a rural versus metro. Uh, even later, earlier this week, we heard about Wyoming passing laws. They could sue states like Colorado for our energy choices, things like that. Uh, is this something where lawmakers uh, should more attention be being paid to Republican lawmakers' complaints about the office? Well, we've had audit issues with that office before, too. So, yes, you want to make sure all government offices are running as smoothly as possible. And if you're going to give them a $40 million bump, that it's running well. But Natasha's right to point to what it means with energy in general. As we look at the economy, as we look at how oil and gas jobs have been lost or the industry has been held back, as we push for the climate change, the greening of the buildings in, in Denver especially, which is pushing for all sustainable buildings, we're going to get some pushback from businesses, especially small businesses, that have been hit extremely hard by the pandemic and now have to retrofit and pay big bills to meet the energy demands. So I think we're going to see a lot, and it will come up in the 2022 election. David, wrap up the topic for us. Where do you think this is headed? It, it's not a question about 
putting so much money into green energy subsidies or, or whatever. If you wanted to do that in a normal way, you put it through the normal appropriations bills, and then the money gets spent by one of the ordinary departments of state government under the standard supervision of the legislature and all the public disclosure requirements that exist. But there's these little entities in the governor's office outside the normal uh, rules of, of spending operations for state government, that the money goes in and it often becomes a, a black hole, uh, e exempt from the normal public controls on state government operations. The governor's energy office in particular is notorious. You know, back when Roy Romer was governor, uh, he appointed as head of the energy office uh, – his campaign manager, because uh, it was between elections, and so he wanted to give B.J. Thornberry a job, and, and she was also actually, we didn't, didn't know it at the time until Patty reported it, uh, she was also his girlfriend. So that, that's what the, the state, the, the governor's energy office is. All of those governor's offices ought to be taken out of the governor's office and put into normal state departments where they can get the, the standard appropriate supervision. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Bills involving immigration laws in Colorado remain prominent in the state legislature. The state Senate passed more bills revolving around the issue, including one that allows undocumented immigrants to earn professional licenses. Uh, Greg, we start our quick take with you. Uh, this actually had bipartisan support. Were you surprised to see any bipartisan support around an immigration bill? I was, actually, and I still am. Uh, look, I understand fully the the need to take care of you know people within our borders, no matter who they are, whether they're here legally or not, because you're going to pay the piper one way or the other. But again, I I really think that you know Democrats really need to be careful about you know uh, overreaching on the issue of immigration, like so many others. Uh, this is still a highly partisan issue, but no, I'm not surprised. I think when you have um, you know, excess of money the way Colorado uh, does right now from their own savings from uh, ratcheting things back on COVID to the amount of money that they're getting from uh, the federal government under the stimulus bill. There are a lot of things that they've wanted to do that they can do. And, 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 and doing some of these things on uh, immigration, uh, I think, is one of them. Patty, what do you think? Were you surprised to see bipartisan on the, bipartisanship on immigration? No, I think people want people to be able to work. I mean, that's one of the issues here. Just yesterday, too, Governor Polis signed into law another immigration bill. This one uh, banning the use of the term illegal alien. I think there's one use of it in the state government. But it's interesting that in Channel 9, has, its parent company has now said they are not allowed to use the word illegal. And that's partly a brouhaha we started by, by printing a piece by a Latino reporter who'd been one of three outed in the last three years from uh, last year from Channel 9. But things are definitely shifting fast. David, your quick take on this. It's much broader than just occupational licensing, like can you get a license to be a plumber or an electrician. It, it prohibits the state and all, all state and all local entities uh, from – it applies to every license, certificate, or registration. So there will be nothing left in state or local law where the government can make any distinction between someone who's lawfully present in the United States and someone who is not. And that, that will certainly obvi – obviously, uh, that includes welfare benefits. Natasha, you're last up. What's your quick take? Well, in a year where there are so many pressing needs for the state capital to address, I, I think it says a lot that they're spending so much time on this particular issue. Coloradans, if you didn't think that this was a perennial topic, get used to it being one. We're going to see tinkering with these laws for many years to come. 
Time for a very favorite part of the show. Time to say uh, your disgrace of the week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start it off. We prove it every week. It's hard to be funny and be understood, but the Villager magazine newspaper that did an April Fool's joke making fun of China and Asians at an amusement park and is now refusing to apologize for offending just about everybody. It's tough to be funny when you blow it. Apologize. David. Uh, state legislators Geithner, Smallwood, and Janal have a good bill uh, to stop nursing homes from shutting down and isolating uh, people and preventing visitors. Back in, in September, uh, the federal government said it's, it's okay to let visitors into nursing homes, but Colorado still refused. And we know that social isolation, especially for the elderly, is just catastrophic for health. Natasha, your disgrace of the week. Those poor people who received a dose um, and are now finding out from that that one clinic, I believe it was Colorado Springs, that um, maybe they need to be uh, vaccinated again. I can't imagine emotionally what that's like going through, and I hope that um, it doesn't encourage people to not get the vaccine. I hope um, quite the opposite, that people continue to get vaccinated. Here, here. Greg, we go to you. Oh, I'm going to have to give it to State Rep. Ron Hanks for his asinine comments about the three-fifth uh, compromise, you know, not impugning anybody's humanity. That, that's the compromise where three-fifths of the slave population was counted for apportionment in the South to figure out how many seats were given to the South in Congress. I mean, that is just a crazy comment. Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty? The move to make Camp Amachi in southeast Colorado, the former internment park, Uh, a national park. It is a stunning place if you've ever been there and seen it and realized what happened to those people during World War II. So go see it and let's hope it goes through. David. The new owners were going to reopen Zadie's Deli, the the greatest uh, Jewish food institution maybe in the history of the state of Colorado. Natasha, we go to you for your Say Something Nice. I'm going to join in on this, that one because we're also hearing about more restaurants and small businesses. The Comeback Kids, um, kudos to every small business owner who has survived the last year. Um, I know that plenty of Coloradans are happy to, to come back and uh, spend their dollars in your businesses. And, Greg, we go to you. Okay, I'm going to give it to Ms. Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' uh, ex. You know, she, she got $50 billion in a divorce from the Amazon founder, and she's been giving it away at a very fast clip, including $20 million to our very own uh, Mile High United Way. Go, McKenzie. And I want to say something nice about a member of our community that we lost this week. Uh, Leroy Schroeder was uh, a pillar in his community uh, as, a, as a quiet gentleman uh, making some actual real change in his community. We uh, lost him to a long-time illness, but uh, he made an enormous difference, and it's nice to be able to see uh, his legacy continue with the service he made uh, throughout uh, the western metro area, specifically in Arvada. He will certainly be missed. And I also want to send a, a quick shout-out to all of you, our members of PBS 12. Uh, we just recently finished a, one of our, our weekend pledge drives, and it was a record-breaker for us. And it just, it's another vote of support from all of you. So for all of you that have stepped up as a member supporting shows like Colorado Inside Out, thank you so much. Please know that support is uh, so much appreciated, but it also goes directly into shows about and for your community. So we're putting it right back to where it came from. Thank you for making that happen. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.